Paul was the first missionary and the church in Thessalonica was founded by Paul and his friend Silas, or as the text said, Silvanus, which is the Greek name for Silas. They founded this church during the second mission trip that Paul did. Thessalonica was an important trading city in Greece and also the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. And actually still today, there is a, a city on that same spot uh, existing in, Greek today, in Greece today. And a lot of the whereabouts of, of certain locations in that city is still unknown because the current city is literally built on top of the old city. When Paul visited uh, Thessalonica, he went to the local synagogue, and for three consecutive Sabbaths, he taught that Jesus was the promised Savior from the Old Testament, and that his death and resurrection was necessary. Some of the Jews in the synagogue believed this teaching, and several of the Greeks too. And this group became the church in Thessalonica. However, there were some uh, individuals in that church or, or in that synagogue who did not like that Paul came to found a church. They did not like Paul and his teaching, and they started an uproar in the city. And Paul and Silas had to flee in order to avoid the angry mob running through the city uh, to find them. They were coming to the house of Jason, where Paul and uh, Silas were staying, and in the middle of the night, they had to leave in order to uh, prevent being hurt. If you want to read more about the background and the, this little summary I've given, when you come home, look at Acts chapter 17. This, the second letter that uh, the text that we heard read, it was probably written in the year 50 to 52. Paul was most likely in Corinth at the time of writing this letter. He addressed the recently new church and was talking about their faith. Uh, for us, this is the second letter. The first letter was written about six months prior to this one. So they were pretty closely uh, written in time. If you were to stop and, and really do the exegetical, historical uh, study about this, uh, if there's one letter that's doubted about the origin in, in the New Testament, it is actually this one. Uh, there's a lot of arguing whether Paul wrote it or not. Some scholars said definitely not. Others says he did. Uh, th what's interesting is that even though this is newer than the first letter, and the first letter has never been doubted, this letter is historically uh, written about earlier than the first letter. Uh, so we know that the first church, uh, they were really putting uh, emphasis on this second letter, that it is important. And that's why we're stopping uh, at this little brief and, uh, and short uh, book in the New Testament, only three chapters, and we'll be focusing on the first today. So, but let us go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask for your presence in a certain way at this time as we're trying to dissect your word. This is not me being up here saying something that I 
think is wise and good, God, I want this to be an opportunity for you to move with your Holy Spirit in me and in each and one of us gathered this morning. We want to hear from you. We are here, God, because we need you all the time. And this time of our service, God, touch our hearts. Make us more like you. Make us understand you a little bit more. And may we all go strengthened out of uh, this service this morning, knowing that you love us. Pray all these things in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, let's stop and think about it. Faith. What is faith? In my sermons, I usually say, well, the definition in the dictionary is, and I'm going to do that this morning too. I enjoy looking in the dictionary and find a definition for words. So here goes. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Since you are here this morning, I assume that you have some thoughts regarding faith. We all put faith in different things on a daily basis. For example, I myself, and I see some of you here, uh, share this faith with me. We put our faith in the Metra train system every morning and afternoon as we commute to and from Chicago for work. We put our trust and hope to the fact that the Metra train will arrive on schedule, that the signals and rails will work in order for the train to take to make it to the destination, to Union Station, to bring me there. And at 5.32 p.m., if you're in the city and catch that train home, you will see me being there. Sharp, 5.32, the train is to leave and to bring me home. That's a practical way to put my trust to a way of traveling and maybe a little humoristic about what faith is. But... We all trust and believe and hope and really lean on all those things to work. Otherwise, I won't show up at my work on time and my whole day will be set off. But we can also put our faith into a spiritual system or a religion. When we do that, we have a philosophy that guides our ways of life and an inner self sense that helps us make meaning when life takes us on various, various ways and different scenarios. The Christian faith is one way a person can take to find these things I just described. Today I want to stop and look at something that is a struggle to most of us in relation to faith, comparing ourselves to others. The question Christian believers or those who try to believe often ask is, is my faith as strong or as good as it should be? This text from 2 Thessalonians talks about how Paul and his friends are boasting about the faith of the Thessalonians. How is it with my faith? Does people boast to others about it? I don't know about you, but I feel somewhat small and insignificant in comparison to this description of Christian believers and their faith. 
I have never heard anyone express admiration for my faith to the extent that they are boasting about it to others. Instead of hearing that I think that I myself, sorry, instead of hearing that I, that I think, I tend to myself look at him or her saying, they are so much better Christians than me. They go to conferences. They pray so many times per day. They read their Bible systematically. His faith or her faith is so much better than mine. Their faith is so big and so great. Compared to them, I'm at a loss. My faith is so small and insignificant that God must be disappointed in me. And I'm worried about the bigger picture. Am I really saved? Will God let me into heaven when I die? Have I deserved this? These are some of the thoughts that Christians in general think on and off. And I assume that you might have had these thoughts at times too. Getting stuck in this negative spiral of thoughts about our own faith is a big mistake that many believers experience. But I want to bring some relieving news. This way of comparing and thinking of our shortcomings is a trap and a mistake that we ought to stop immediately. Because the truth is that we can never have perfect faith and please God. That is the very essence of the Christian faith. That is where the evangelium, the good news, the gospel comes in. Since we humans are unable to be perfect, God did it through Jesus for us to be set right before God. It is all a gift from God and nothing that we can do or deserve in ourselves and in anything we do or are. So the entire purpose of this first chapter from 2 Thessalonians is not to make us feel inferior. Instead, it is to encourage believers that faith in Jesus is all that matters. I should not compare myself and my faith with any one of you or anyone else for that matter. I can compare my faith with myself. Am I growing in my faith? Am I trusting God more than I used to? So my question to you is not, are you like me? Are you like her? Are you like them? But do you love Jesus more today than you did last week? Do you got, love God more now than you did a year ago? That's what it's all about to grow in our faith, to understand that I can't do anything except through him who gives me power. The text, when it talked about Paul and Silas and Timothy boasting about the believers in, in Thessalonians to others, it was about them loving one another, about them growing and getting more and more wiser and 
some of the commentaries talked about that uh, initially their, their understanding of the Christian faith was very limited. Paul was there for about three weeks and talked to them. And out of that, they started believing. But he saw that they had something. They had a passion. They wanted to go deeper into their faith and know Jesus more. That's what it's all about. The entire plan of God is perfect, amazing grace. Perfect. Because it was all done by Jesus, who is God's son, who is perfect. He did what no one else could. He was able to be the perfect one coming before God, taking the punishment of shortcoming of everything that we can't do, Jesus did. It's amazing because it's available to each and everyone who wants to believe in it. You don't have to be anyone or anything except willing to trust in this. That's what's so amazing about it. It is grace because it is free and it sets us free from the judgment that this text talks about that God is sending. Judgment is something that is scary and unpleasant to think of. Many of you here probably join in with me not liking the imagining God sending punishment over people. We prefer to stay in a mode of safety where we've been told that since we believe in God, everything is going to be okay and no harm will ever come our way. Jesus is on my side. So I will be fine no matter what. Even though I do believe that God is on the same side as believers, it is my experience in life and in my years working as a pastor and chaplain that we all have experiences of pain and suffering in our lives. Currently, I work as a chaplain at one of the major hospitals in the medical district in Chicago. And in my job, I frequently visit people who carry many of the existential questions that we all face at times. The question I hear the most is, why? Why did I get this diagnosis? Why did my loved one just die? Why didn't God save me from this? At those times, it ha it's hard to see a meaning. Life is difficult. And I could go on for the rest of the day, telling you countless stories of visits I've had where I felt these questions hanging in the air and I have felt inadequate, being unable to find a satisfactory answer to these whys. This past Friday, I met the dad of a 23-year-old woman who was in the neurological ICU where I work. This young woman had come in after having a seizure that lasted eight minutes. This woman was born healthy. She was well. But about one year old of age, she caught a virus and became ill. 
this virus made her suffer brain injuries that caused her cognitive brain impairment that has uh, affected her life from the age of one. She's never been able to speak. She's dependent on help from her parents all the time. And listening to her dad sharing this was a very sad and difficult situation. This woman and her family are in this situation and have been there for many years. However, this family identified themselves as Christian. They were expressing that prayer is what is carrying them. And I see this story as one of many, but as a good illustration of the way life is for all of us. We all face troubles one way or another. We might not have a story similar to this one, but we all can identify with grief, loss, and brokenness. Because don't come and tell me that your life is perfect. I know that we all carry a story of pain, of grief, of suffering. And in the midst of the tension with health issues and life events that are tough, I do with all of my heart have faith. Faith that there is a presence that carries me and the patients that I visit. The same thing goes for all of you in church today. I believe the same thing that Paul was presenting to those who became the members of the church in Thessalonica, that Jesus is the Savior who came to bring us to God and that my life and your life can be richer by having this faith. The Christian singer Michael Card gives a beautiful description of what Christian faith is in one of his songs. To hear with my heart, to see with my soul, to be guided by a hand I cannot hold, to trust in a way that I cannot see. That's what faith must be. The faith I have tells me that Jesus is going to return and that there will be <clears throat> excuse me, a judgment at that day. But instead of getting stuck and worried about the judgment, lean on the faith part. God has made it possible. We don't have to be worried that the punishment is going to be tough. That I'm not going to be good enough to deserve it. You know why? Because it all is perfect, amazing, great. Amen. Lord our God, we thank you for giving us this perfect, amazing grace that none of us deserve, that none of us really understand. But God, we are humbled, we are grateful, and we just want to say thank you. Thank you that it's within reach for each and one of us. And help us not to compare ourselves with other believers, but compare ourselves with ourselves, having a hunger and a desire to grow nearer to you, to grow into a deeper relationship with you, to receive this perfect, amazing grace.